0: Our New Testament reading today comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew, the 14th chapter, beginning with verse number 22. Listen once again to the Word of God. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but by this time the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning he came walking towards them on the lake. But when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart. It is I, do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me! Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. It's hard not to admire the the spirit of someone like Larry Walters. 33 years old, Larry enjoyed spending his afternoons on Saturdays lying in his recliner in the backyard, his lounge chair, with a six pack in one hand and the newspaper in the other. For years, Larry harbored a dream. He wanted to buy some weather balloons, fill them with helium, tie them to his lounge chair, and then float up about a hundred feet above his neighbors. He did just that. He went out, he purchased 43 helium balloons, tied them to his lounge chair, his neighbors were there holding onto the balloons, and then when he gave the word, they let go. He also had a BB rifle in his hand so he could burst some of the balloons to maintain control over his ascent. They let go, and up Larry Walters went. Now, his desire was to go 100 feet in the air. Well, Larry did go 100 feet. Larry Walters was soon spotted by two commercial airliners on its way to 16,000 feet. Eventually, Larry made it back down to the ground, safe and sound, even though he got entangled into some electrical lines. Would he do it again, the reporters asked? No. Was he scared? Yes. Well, why did you do it to begin with? And Larry Walter said, you can't just sit around. I like that. You can't just sit around. I like that. Because it sounds to me like a wonderful motto for a faithful church. You can't just sit around. I like that. Because in this morning's scripture passage, that seems to be the challenge that Jesus is issuing to all of us. You can't just sit around. After a long day of preaching and healing and teaching, Jesus needs some time to himself. He tells his disciples, get in the boat, go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And they did just that. They got in the boat and they started to make their way across the sea. Jesus went away by himself to pray and to meditate. Matthew says, however, the boat battered by the waves was far from land for the wind was against them. It's a blustery night, a night filled with danger, terror. Will they make it to the other side? Will their boat capsize? How will they survive? Will they drown out there in the middle of the Sea of Galilee? Do you think they ever asked themselves out there, what in the world are we doing here on a night like this? I would have, if I had been in that boat, And the wind and the waves were turbulent I would have said why am I out here and the answer is why are they out there because Jesus sends them out there do you recall what the sea symbolized in the ancient world chaos danger threat death It would have been a lot safer for the disciples simply to wait on the beach, to pitch a tent, to sit there and wait for Jesus to finish praying and come back to them. But Jesus tells them, go to the other side. Uh, There are people over there. There are people over there who do not know they are loved by God. Uh, There are people over there who are searching for meaning in their life. Uh, There are people over there who are hurting, who are ill, who are broken. Uh, Go to the other side, Jesus says. Wait a minute, what's that in the distance? Uh, It's Jesus. Jesus is walking on the sea. Jesus is the Lord of all creation and he is taking a stroll over the chaotic forces that threaten to divide, frighten, and kill God's people. Do not be afraid, it's I. That's what Jesus tells the church when the church goes out onto the stormy seas of mission and service. Do not be afraid, it is I. That's what Jesus tells the church. When we are afraid of what might be, when we are afraid of what might come, do not be afraid. That's what Jesus says to us when we are battered by the winds of complacency and the waves of doubt. Do, do, do not be afraid. It is I. I'm here. Peter responds, but Lord, if it is you, command me, and I will join you out on the water. Jesus says, come. Peter's not being foolish or reckless or ridiculous or impulsive. He waits. He waits for Jesus to issue the invitation, come. And Peter gets out of the relative security of that little boat. He, He gets out of his comfort zone because he was a fisherman, you remember. And he walks towards Jesus on the water. He walks amidst the powers of darkness and death. He does it. I mean, Peter actually does it. And then a moment later, he begins to falter. He has doubt. He is afraid. The wind is blowing. He begins to sink. Lord, save me. And Jesus reaches out his hand and pulls him up out of the watery chaos of death. Larry Walter says, you can't just sit around. But of course we can. We can just stay in the boat. We can't just stay on the beach. You can't just sit around, but but we can. We, We as a church can refuse to feed the hungry. We as a church can refuse to struggle for justice. Uh, We, as a church, can rest comfortably in our familiar ways of doing things rather than trying something that feels risky and new and different. um, The fear of the unknown, the fear of loss, the fear of change, can keep us in our seats with James and John and Andrew. In the passage that Beverly read for us, Moses gives us a choice. Life and death, blessings and curses, And we are invited to decide, to choose, which one do you want, life or death? And in a similar manner this morning, Jesus extends to us that same invitation to make a decision. We, as God's church, can stay in the boat with Andrew, James, and John. We can keep on being church the way we know how to be church. We can keep worshiping and serving and praying and living the way we always have. As a church, we can join with Peter and getting out of our comfort zone and walking out on the sea with Jesus. What do you want to do? There is no manipulation. There is no coercion in the gospel. What, what, What do you want to do? Do you want to stay in the boat where you're comfortable and say, Gosh, you're a fisherman. You, you know how these things work. You know what church is like. Or, can you see Jesus out there? And with that big grin on his face, he's saying, Come, come, join me out here. Come, come, join me out here amidst the chaos and despair of human existence. Come, join me out here as we go to the other side to engage more people to tell others about the good news of God's love and claim upon their lives. Jesus blesses the church that leaves the port and sails out into open seas. Jesus blesses the church that strives to get to the other side. Jesus blesses the church that gets out of the boat. And it's amazing. It's amazing what a church can do when it ventures out of its comfort zone to do the unexpected. When a church risks falling on your face or looking stupid or sinking into the waves, what do you want to do? Do you want to be in the boat with James, John, and Andrew? Or do you want to get wet and splashed by the waves and trying to reach Jesus? In the book, Practicing Theology, Gilbert Bond describes his church in the Chicago area, First Church of the Brethren. It's a congregation that sits in an impoverished neighborhood. In 1968, after the riots erupted in response to the assassination of Dr. King, capital investment pulled out of the neighborhood. They left and they never went back 250,000 people did not have a single bank, savings and loan, or credit union to help them build up the capital they needed to rebuild their neighborhood. In the 1980s, federal programs for helping impoverished children were slashed, but the administration also, Bond reminds us, made available to the poor and the hungry uh, surplus agricultural commodities And First Church of the Brethren offered to be a site where people could go and pick up these commodities, powdered milk, processed cheese, cornmeal, honey. The church dwindled down to about 60 members, and 10 of those members maintained this ministry to the hungry and the poor. Once a month, on Friday mornings, they would go to the warehouse, pick up all the groceries, take them back to the church, and then on Saturday mornings, they would distribute them to the people in that neighborhood who visited that church. The people who visited, Gilbert Bond tells us, were rarely gracious or grateful. They were held in the clutch of despair. Darkness surround their lives. Their anger and resentment simmered just beneath the surface and unfortunately, one Saturday morning, that anger and resentment erupted. Two men were standing in line to pick up their processed cheese and the powder milk. They got to the table and the man realized he did not have his ID and an ID was required to get the food. He said, I don't have my ID. Well, I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do. You you can't get any food today. And he was enraged. Look, we're all hungry here. We're all poor here. We wouldn't be here if we weren't poor. I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do. The man turned around in anger, started towards the staircase, going down, and he lit up a cigarette. One of the women who worked there, a member of the church, saw him lighting up the cigarette, charged over to him, grabbed it out of his hand, threw it on the floor and said, You can't smoke in here. This is a church. And the man reared back and hit her with an open hand. She went crashing to the floor and he went racing out the door. You can imagine what happened at that point. It's just too dangerous. It's just too risky. We cannot continue this ministry. We cannot continue being a distribution point for these agricultural commodities. The church voted to close it down. But then they pivoted. And instead of distributing food, they decided to distribute invitations. The Church of the Brethren has a long tradition of something called a love feast. It's a celebration of communion, but with an entire meal in which people gather around and enjoy communion with one another, with God, and indeed with the world. And they thought, should we? Should we? Can, can we do this? And they visited some of those same people who'd been coming to get their food, and they gave them the invitation to come and join us in the love feast. And they weren't sure about that, so. Is this going to work? Gilbert Bond writes, We contacted some of the people who used to line up outside the church for cheese and powdered milk and invited them to a meal. And with some fear and trembling, we sat and ate with people who were very much not like us, people who knew very little about our faith tradition, but in eating together, we discovered we were very much like each other. Eventually, members of the community and members of the church prepared neighborhood fellowship meals together, cooking and eating and praying together. My friends, the vibrant church, the vital church, and the faithful church is the one who hears Jesus' voice and is willing to trip over itself and fail and stumble to get out onto the sea to be with Jesus. The faithful church is the one who's willing to risk going into the stormy seas of threat and danger and chaos to serve Christ as faithfully as possible. Of all human organizations, the church is the one The church is the absolute one that should never, ever fear losing its life and security. It should be the absolute one willing to risk mistakes and failures. For we are the ones to whom Jesus comes and extends his hand and lifts us up out of the water when we fear that we're drowning. "Come, come," Jesus says, and if we start to drown, I've got you. Don't be afraid. The church is not about coercion or manipulation. Christ does not put us on a guilt trip to do this or that. We can continue being the church as we have for 2,000 years. We can continue now the way we've been doing for generations. We can keep on worshiping God and loving God and serving God, praying to God, talking with one another, doing the things we do in the community the way we have been doing in a familiar way. Or, or, we can get out of the boat and discover the grace and love of God in ways we have never imagined. Come, come, Jesus says. Amen.